King Saul's next great test comes as the Philistines oppress Israel. But his test is not in battle. Instead, it's a test of patience in the midst of fear. On The Bible Brief. Today is review day on The Bible Brief. If you haven't left us a five-star review on your podcast platform, will you do that today? Reviews are a key way that new people find out about the show. Laws Concerning Kings From the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 17 When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself, or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord has said to you, You shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear Yahweh his God, by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes, and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. The kingdom was always part of God's plan for Israel. It was part of his plan because he knew that the nation would desire to have a human king over them, instead of being content to have Yahweh as king over them. He knew that they would want to be like the other nations. This is instructive to us because it helps us understand the kingdom promises that God made. Remember, way back before Israel was a nation in Canaan, God had promised a kingdom would come out of the people and that they would be ruled by a righteous king who would defeat his enemies. This righteous king, this seed of Abraham called the Messiah, the Anointed One, he would not only rule over Israel, but he would come to have the obedience of the nations of the world. This has been the direction of the Bible story ever since we heard the first hint of it in Genesis chapter 3, in God's promises of the seed of the woman who would come to defeat the evil serpent. A king is coming, and though Israel was sinful in trying to be like the other nations with their king, God would ensure that his righteous king wouldn't be like the other nations. He would be a greater king than any that had come before. That said, between King Saul and the great righteous future king to come, there would be many kings over Israel, and these kings would also be required not to be like the other nation's kings. This passage out of Deuteronomy places four essential rules upon the king of Israel. 1. He must not expand his cavalry, especially with Egyptian horses. 2. He must not have many wives, women who might turn away his heart from Yahweh to serve other gods. 3. He must not excessively enrich himself with silver or gold. And 4. He shall write a copy of the law, meditate on it, and obey Yahweh. These four essential rules would ensure that the king was rightly governing the nation, and we read that his kingdom will be extended if he does them. That is, his children will be on his throne if he obeys these rules. As we think about the institution of the kingdom then, it has two sides. 
the desire of the people to be like other nations, and God's desire for the people and for their king to be different from other nations. Other kings would collect horses, collect wives for alliances, enrich themselves on the backs of their people, and spurn any idea that they were equal to the people they ruled. The people of Israel may have wanted a king like these other nations, but God's instructions for his kings meant something wholly different and set apart from other nations. Moses emphasized this in his Deuteronomy speech when he said, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Yahweh your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Israel is a special nation with a king unlike other kings. The question is, with all these unique instructions, could Israel's king follow the commands? Saul had passed his first test as king. He had led the people in battle at Jabesh Gilead, and Israel had a great victory through their new king, Saul. Even in this success, however, Saul didn't lift himself up. He gave glory to God for delivering his people from the Ammonites. Saul began well, and his kingdom was off to a solid start. Samuel, however, saw the rebellion in the people demanding a king from God, and he warned the people in his final speech to the nation of the perils of turning away from God and disobeying his commands. Samuel's leadership over the nation was diminishing, and after this final speech, he would take a background role to this new leader. Saul was now the prime leader in Israel. It soon came about that a different nation began to oppress Israel, a nation whose power had waxed and waned throughout the time of the judges, but reached perhaps a peak during the reign of Saul. Conflict with the Philistines was inevitable, and Saul's son Jonathan decides to poke the bear. Jonathan defeats a small force of the Philistines, and Saul uses this event as a rallying cry for Israel to gather against their Philistine foe. However, as soon as Israel's fighters gather at Gilgal to face their enemy, they discover that the Philistines had rallied as well, and they were an innumerable force. We read this in 1 Samuel chapter 13, starting in verse 5. The Philistines mustered to fight with Israel. 3,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen, and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped at Michmash, to the east of Beth-Avon. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves, and in holes, and in rocks, and in tombs, and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. The rallying cry for Israel has turned into cries of despair and trembling and fear. The Philistines had thousands of chariots and other troops without number. Israel's force was puny by comparison. Saul then is confronted with a problem. His men begin deserting the army. They begin to hide themselves in caves and tombs, and some even go over to the east side of the Jordan River to flee this Philistine horde. Saul's army is being slowly whittled away, not by Philistine swords, but by fear in the hearts of the men. Now, when God had initially called Saul as king, he had called him through Samuel specifically for this war against the Philistines. They had been oppressing the people, and Saul was to be God's instrument for saving the Israelites from their oppressors. Samuel had said that in that day, when Saul was to go to Gilgal, that he should wait seven days for Samuel to arrive so that Samuel could tell Saul what he was to do. 
the prophet of God would tell the king God's instructions for battle. So we continue with this account of Saul's actions at Gilgal. Saul waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, with which he commanded you. Apparently on the seventh day, Saul decides instead of waiting any further for the prophet, he will take matters into his own hands. He decides to make burnt offerings to God, instead of waiting for what Samuel would tell him to do. But just as soon as Saul had done this, Samuel arrives and lets him know that he has made a grave error. Rather than obey what God's prophet had told him, Saul makes offerings not commanded and disobeys the command to wait for Samuel. Samuel's rebuke for Saul's behavior isn't done, though. After calling Saul's actions foolish, he says that this disobedience has cost him the kingdom. He says if Saul had obeyed then, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. Saul must have been sick hearing this. His impatience and fear has cost him the kingdom, and cost his descendants the kingdom. Further, in a stinging remark, he's told that God has sought a man after his own heart to be king instead of Saul. Implicitly, Samuel is telling Saul that he's missed it. His disobedience has proven that he's not a man after God's heart. Oddly enough, the scene ends not with a battle against the Philistines. It ends with Samuel leaving and Saul retreating from Gilgal. He retreats to his hometown of Gibeah, and his former force of about 3,000 had shrunk in fear to about one-fifth of the size. He now had only 600 men to go against thousands of Philistines. He faced unwinnable odds with makeshift weaponry against iron chariots. Not only that, but God's prophet had left after Saul's disobedience at Gilgal. You have to wonder if he thought this might be the final end of the Israelite nation. After some days, however, Saul's son Jonathan makes an appearance again, a man with great faith in God who decides to go over to the Philistine camp with his armor-bearer. He says, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor-bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for Yahweh has given them into our hand, and this shall be a sign to us. 
So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor-bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor-bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan, and his armor-bearer killed them after him. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made, killed about twenty men. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled, the earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. Soon the Israelite army comes out of their hiding places, and they find the Philistines fighting each other in confusion and panic. They join the battle and begin fighting, and now the Philistines are being decimated from within and without. All because of a surprise attack by Jonathan, a man with enough faith to know that with God, numbers don't matter. Yet despite the joy of Yahweh having defeated the Philistines before the people of Israel on this day, we're left with perhaps a sense of melancholy and dissonance. God didn't really use Saul to deliver the people. More than anyone, he used faithful Jonathan to defeat the Philistines. The king so desired by the people to go before them and fight their battles was the very king that God had now rejected for his disobedience. Saul had missed the fourth rule of the kingship, obey Yahweh. Instead, God would choose a king after his own heart, a king not like Saul. Join us next time as God commands Saul to strike the Amalekites. Yahweh takes vengeance on Israel's enemy from their wilderness wanderings. God commands, but will Saul obey? The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023